Hello, welcome to Vision of Zion. I'm Craig Perry, and this is episode number 11. The date today is August 14th, 2022. I'm back in front of a more professional microphone. I hope it sounds a little better than episode 10 when I only had a headset on. Anyway, today I'm going to talk about a personal experience and an experience with one of my ancestors and the impact that my ancestors' uh, autobiography had on my life. And I'm hoping to share it with you. Um, I'll just tell you up front that I finally wrote down what my grandfather actually is my great, 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 great grandfather. So I won't bother you with the number of greats to just call my grandfather, Alfred Douglas Young. I actually prepared a book in 2020. Uh, you can find it on Amazon if you're interested. It's called The Refiner's Fire by uh, edited and commentary by Craig K. Perry. And what I've done is I basically shared his autobiography and then I added some commentary and explanations and my impressions about what he said. But I'd like to go back to the beginning of that experience that I had finding this autobiography. It turns out my family had a copy all along, but I either didn't remember it or wasn't aware of it. I was up at school. I was up at Brigham Young University and the winter semester was winding down. I had taken a genealogy class for Sunday school because I was interested in how to perform genealogy. Back in that day, there were no, at least not that I knew of, any computers. Uh, we would go to libraries, we would go to other more analog sources to get data. Microfiche was another one. I was interested in learning more to see if I had any ancestors who had ever written a journal. Now, I, I knew I had some relatives who had been pioneers in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I wanted to know if any of them had ever recorded either a testimony or if they'd recorded any accounts of their experiences. While I was in the Harold B. Lee Library, I came across this book, uh, more of an index. It was prepared by a gentleman whose name was Davis Bitten. And the book was entitled Guide to Mormon Diaries and Autobiographies. And I thought, well, I've got a list of some family names here. Let's go back and look and see if I can find anybody in my history who may be in this book. The autobiographies and diaries are listed in here in sorry, alphabetical order. So I was looking for initially names in the earlier part of the alphabet, and then I went my way through the other names in the family. And I finally got to the Ys, and I was getting close to the end. I don't know if I have any family members who had the last name and started with the Z, for example. But finally, I came across a autobiography prepared by Alfred Douglas Young. It was one of the last pages of the book. I was so excited to find this. And what was really amazing was that it described that this person had had a vision of heaven and also discussed his early conversion and missionary experiences. And I thought, well, I've got to have a copy of this. He saw heaven, had a vision. What, what is this all about? And as soon as I had a break from my final exams in the winter semester, I made a point to go up and procure a copy. The copy that I procured 
which was identical in form to the copy my family had in its possession was uh, at the University of Utah. So I drove up there in my little Volkswagen bug and I went and got a copy. And it was later in the winter, it was winter semester, it was probably April. And it was a beautiful warm day. And I took my copy and I drove down to a park in the western part of Provo. It was actually a grass area with a, I think it was a softball field adjacent to a chapel. And there were some picnic benches. And I went out and sat on one of the picnic benches facing the beautiful Wasatch Range on this warm morning. As I began to read this, I was overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the words that he wrote resonated so powerfully within me that I will never forget that day. And the experience has had a very profound influence in my life. One of the things that he said at the very end is that the reason he wrote this down was because he wanted his posterity to know of the goodness of God. And indeed, I was filled with love. I was filled with the Spirit when I was done. And I knew what he said was true for me. It was 100% true. Now, this was a, he was writing about experiences in 1887, I believe it was, when the experiences had occurred in 1842. So it took him a long time to write it down, but he felt before he passed away, which was the next year, he needed to write it down for his posterity. And that's why I put it in a book, because I finally felt that it needed to be shared with the world. So again, the book's called The Refiner's Fire, an autobiographical account of the visions, miracles, and trials of Mormon pioneer Alfred Douglas Young. Um, let me, I'm going to have to abbreviate what he said uh, and only focus on a couple of things that are important for today's podcast. His story was that he had been approached by some missionaries preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in 1842 and was baptized and given the gift of the Holy Ghost afterwards. Later, they told him he needed to be ordained an elder. He didn't feel worthy to be ordained an elder, but he was ordained an elder. And that's what began some amazing experiences. He says that on the 17th of October in 1842, I'm going to start reading now and quoting him. My brother and myself were sitting on the trunk of a tree in the front of his house, talking on the principles of the gospel. Now, this would have been, I believe, uh, he's from Tennessee, but he also was traveling, so I'm not sure where this occurred right offhand. But on with the story, continuing with the quote, While conversing, a spirit came over me which created a sensation as if a quantity of blood-warm water was poured over me, coming onto my head first. I was filled with light, peace, and joy. Have you ever had that feeling, by the way, where the spirit comes over you and it feels like this warm water poured over your head? And then the spiritual part, that's a kind of a physical reaction to it. He said he was filled with light, peace, and joy. I was impressed to retire into some secret place. As I arose to my feet, I asked my brother if he would go with me. As we walked, he continued to speak on the principles of the gospel and the gifts that have been made manifest. But I had little to say as I was in deep meditation. 
Now, I've read a lot of near-death experiences. I like to categorize them into two types. Near-death experiences, I use that term to refer to people who have sustained an injury or are in a surgery and their body slips out, excuse me, their spirit slips out of their body and they can see their body on an operating table or in the car crash or whatever traumatic event may have occurred. And then they are able or allowed to go up and have an experience with either a messenger or some people go and see the face of Jesus Christ. And those are near-death experiences. Out-of-body experiences are people who are apparently called out of their body without having had a traumatic event occur, such as a near-death or a tra traumatic experience. So this one is an out-of-body experience, and I've read of few accounts of people with out-of-body experiences without the trauma. So he's walking along, and here's what happens. When we had retired about 200 paces from the house into a piece of heavy timber, I saw a light burst through the tops of the trees a little southeast of me. I was wrapped in a light which far exceeded the light of the sun. A personage appeared clothed in a white robe, exceeding in brightness the light of the sun. Around his head, this light gathered into a halo of brightness, exceeding in intensity everything else around. Uh, many of these accounts talk about the brightness of a glorified being exceeding that of the sun at noonday. This is another one of those examples. And he's, here he's met with, a, with an angel, angelic messenger or visitor or guide. Says, uh, quote, he was dressed in a white robe and his feet were bare. My nature could not bear the presence of, his, of this glorious person and I sank to the ground. My brother walking by my side as he afterwards stated saw my countenance change and that I was sinking to the ground. He took hold of my clothes at the breast and let me gently down. This much I do know that my spirit went out of my body and stood just over it and I gazed at it and my brother standing by it. Now this is entirely consistent with people who describe their out-of-body or near-death near experiences over the last couple of decades that I've read. I guess 30 or 40 years I've been reading about them. Whether or not my spirit was commanded to come out of my body by the personage or in whose presence I was, I know not. And then he has this amazing, profound experience, which I'd like to share with you now. He said, the personage or angel said, follow me. He ascended upwards in the direction from whence he came, and I followed him. He took me into the presence of God the Father and of his Son, Jesus Christ, with the exception that there was a rail between us, but I saw them seated on a throne. I had in my hands many sheaves of wheat of the purest white. There was an altar on my left and also one directly in front of me. The one on my left appeared to be about three feet in height, the one in front of the front about 18 inches. I laid the sheaves of wheat that were in my hands on the altar in front of me, which was also in front of the throne. So he's taking these sheaves of wheat of, that are pure white. He lays them on this altar, about three feet high. He kneels. And then he says, quote, I prayed to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ to accept the offering I had laid upon the altar. When I prayed, the rail was removed and I stood upon my feet. Jesus arose and stepped from the side of his father and came near where I stood. I was in their presence and I gazed upon their glory. Jesus then said to me, your offering is accepted. And wouldest thou know the interpretation thereof? And I replied, yes, Lord. And then at that point, the angel tells him to look and he shows him 
and he says that the wheat represents the people that he is going to be instrumental in bringing to Jesus Christ. And he goes on and takes this cosmic tour of the heavens. He sees the heavens. He sees that they're broken up into varying degrees of glory, which is what we see Paul talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 41, I think, through 42. But that's not the point for today's podcast. So we're going to skip over the details there. He also sees that bottomless pit. We'll skip over that for now. What we do want to cover is that after the tour of the heavens, he begins to see future events unfold on the earth that have not yet occurred. And we're going to cover those some other time. But as he is entering his body again, he sees a number of things that relate to this country and to the future of the saints and several things that confirm the teachings of the Savior and the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, also the book of Isaiah. But we're going to skip over that now because what I want to focus on is what happened after the vision occurred. In this vision, he was called to preach the gospel. He was told to go back and meet with his kindred in Tennessee and to preach about the gospel or what we would call the restored gospel another topic for another discussion. He sets out to preach the gospel. Now listen to what happens to him. Remember, he's had this marvelous experience. He has seen God. He has seen the Savior. He sees what is important in life, bringing souls to the Lord. And now he sets out on this mission. And listen, listen to what happens to him. Quote, During my journey, Satan was made manifest to me. I did not see his person, but I felt his presence and power. He brought forward every conceivable argument to induce me to deny having had any visions from God, that I had not seen a vision, but had been deceived. And if I persisted in testifying that I had had seen a vision, etc., I would certainly go to hell. He continued to work on me after my arrival home almost constantly, day and night, until I was nearly unfitted for labor and could scarcely eat. I often retired and attempted to pray in secret, but had not power to open my mouth. The pressure on my mind and body became terrible to bear. I had a shop in which I was turning a lathe. I went into it to do a small job of turning. As I started the lathe and picked up my turning chisel, Satan came upon me with such power that it seemed as though he would crush my soul and body into the earth. In my agony, I dropped my chisel and leaned over the workbench, which was standing near, and for the first time I had power to open my mouth in supplication. I cried, O Lord, and must I give up to the power of the adversary? Immediately I heard a voice from over my head which said, As one man talks to another, if you now deny what has been revealed to you, you shall have your portion where the beast and the false prophet are. I replied, O Lord, I will bear testimony of the truth of these things from this time henceforth and forever. At this, the load which I carried for twelve or fourteen days was lifted from off me, and Satan departed from me. Close quote. And my listeners, I'm trying to again inform you that this is the pattern of how things go 
This is a pattern I want it to be emblazoned in your minds that when you are doing good and striving to do good, you will face opposition. And the greater your blessings, the higher your vision, the greater your understanding, the greater the temptation to deny, the more persecution. It almost seems like Satan is given more authority to challenge us. The Lord gives him a little bit more rope to challenge us, and we have to fight back. Now, during this time period, there was more than more than a, one or two people who claimed to have had a vision of Jesus Christ. I have a firm testimony, born of the Spirit, that this indeed happened to my ancestor. I thought about it a lot. You know, why would he lie? He was one year from death, and he finally wrote it down because he wanted to preserve it. And I know for a fact from the spirit that I felt that that was a true experience. There's another, let me just show you, show you the pattern in two more instances. So you won't forget and remember that there's a pattern to these things. And I'm also being prompted to tell you about another story that happened to me personally. It's not as grand and glorious as any of these. In fact, it kind of ends with a dud, but I think you'll enjoy it. And it's very instructive. In the last podcast, I mentioned that Joseph Smith uh, read James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. And Joseph Smith received a firm testimony at that very moment that if he did go and pray, he would get an answer. And so Joseph went out and he prayed. He had a similar experience as my grandfather, but listen to the some interesting differences here. He said, this is Joseph Smith history, chapter 1, verse 14. This is going to go to 15, excuse me. After I had retired to the place where I had previously designed to go, having looked around me and finding myself alone, I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me and had such an astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Thick darkness gathered around me and it seemed for me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. But, exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy, which had seized upon me, and at the very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world who had such marvelous power as I had never before felt in any being, just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. So here we see again, here Satan is trying to preemptively stop a vision from occurring. In my grandfather's account, he was tempted sorely for many weeks or days to deny what he had seen. And finally, he refused to give in and he met the test and it was over. He was able to function again. And he had other struggles and persecutions, don't get me wrong, but the main uh, temptation came and went. Let's go read about Jesus real quick. Following his baptism. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus appears before John the Baptist and initially hesitant to baptize him. John is told by Jesus, suffer it to be so now, for thus have he come for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so John the Baptist permitted himself to baptize the Savior, after which it says, quote, this is Matthew 7, excuse me, Matthew 3, 
16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Well, what happens immediately after? Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And he and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was an afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, saying, and then, of course, we have the temptations. So, again, Satan is given some leeway to tempt those who have had great spiritual experiences. I'm going to read you another one that you're not familiar with. Most of you will know that Moses went up to Mount Sinai and he was caught up there and met the Lord God face to face. Details of his experience can be found in the Pearl of Great Price in the book of Moses chapter 1. Very similar to what my grandfather discussed. Verse 4, and behold, thou art my son. This is God talking to Moses. Wherefore, look, and I will show thee the workmanship of mine hands, but not all, for my works are without end, and also my word, for they never cease. Wherefore, no man can look, can behold all my works, except he behold all my glory, and no man can behold all my glory, and afterwards remain in the flesh on the earth. And I have a work for thee, Moses, my son. I'm going to skip a little bit here. Verse 8, And it came to pass that Moses looked and beheld the world upon which he was created. And Moses beheld the world and the ends thereof, and all the children of men, which are and which were created. Of the same he greatly marveled and wondered. Now, here comes the key, this parallel story. And the presence of God withdrew from Moses, that its glory was not upon Moses. And Moses was left unto himself, and as he was left unto himself, he fell unto the earth. And it says, many hours passed before he gained his natural strength, like unto a man. I'll just throw this in real quick. It says, but now mine eyes have beheld God, but not my natural, but my spiritual eyes. For my natural eyes could not have beheld, for I should have withered and died in his presence. But his glory was upon me, and I beheld his face, for I was transfigured before him. Uh, many people look at the Bible where it says no man can see the face of God and, and live. Well, clearly Moses did. It's in, the, it's in the Bible. It's clarified here. You have to see God with spiritual eyes. Yeah, physical eyes can't withstand his presence, but in the spirit we can. We see this happening in other accounts too. Okay, now what happens after this? Here we go, verse 12. And it came to pass that when Moses had said these words, behold, Satan came tempting him, saying, Moses, son of man, worship me. And it came to pass that Moses looked upon Satan and said, who art, who art thou? For behold, I am a son of God in the similitude of his only begotten. And where is thy glory that I should worship thee? So there was no glory in the presence of Satan. Of course not, because he had fallen from heaven. He didn't have the glory. And he goes on to say, For behold, I cannot look upon God except his glory should come upon me, and I were transfigured before him. But I can look upon thee in the natural man. Is it not so, surely? Blessed be the name of my God, for his spirit hath not altogether withdrawn from me, or else where is thy glory? For it is darkness unto me. And I can judge between thee and God. For God said unto me, Worship God, for him only shalt thou serve. Similar words to what Jesus told Satan in the wilderness. Well, Satan becomes very upset that Moses won't worship him. Verse 19, 
And now Moses has said these words, Satan cried with a loud voice and ranted upon the earth and commanded, saying, I am, thy, I am the only begotten. Worship me. Of course, this was a lie. Verse 20, And it came to pass that Moses began to fear exceedingly. And as he began to fear, he saw the bitterness of hell. Nevertheless, calling upon God, he received strength. And he commanded, saying, Depart from me, Satan, for this one God only will I worship, which is the God of glory. And now Satan began to tremble, and the earth shook, and Moses received strength, and called upon God, saying, In the name of thy only begotten, depart hence, Satan. And it came to pass that Satan cried with a loud voice, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And he departed hence, even from the presence of Moses, that he beheld him not. Close quote. You see the pattern here? These are This is the pattern that happens when we reach for uh, spiritual experiences and we receive spiritual knowledge and insight and testimony. Satan is granted permission to tempt and try us. Our job, and it's not emphasized enough, in my opinion, we need to learn how to cast out Satan. And here we have the pattern. In the name of Jesus Christ, we can cast out Satan with prayer and sometimes fasting, we can cast out Satan. We have the power, if we call upon the name of Jesus Christ in faith, to command him to depart. I'm going to tell a story now that I wasn't planning on sharing when I first started, but this is a cautionary tale. This happened to me a few years ago. And to be really honest with you, I can't remember what I was praying about. I think I might have been praying for a greater witness of things that I had had a testimony of in my in my spirit, things the spirit had already borne witness to me about, but I felt like I needed more of a witness. And so I prayed for a greater witness. I was in my house, I lay down upon my bed. After being there for a few minutes, I don't know how long I was there, I suddenly felt myself traveling through a tunnel. And I was traveling, it felt like I was being sucked in a vacuum <laughs> backwards. I was disoriented. There was, there was a loud rushing noise. It, it happened for a few moments. And then suddenly I found myself kind of in suspended air. That's what it felt like. I felt like I was near the earth, but I was in the sky floating. And where I was was dark and gray and very noisy, like a lot of white noise. And as I, but then I started to travel upward through the sky. And as I traveled, uh, the noise became less and less, and the sky became went from a gray to blue. And then I heard, instead of noise, I heard this melodic voice speaking to me. It was like somebody was singing, but they were talking, and it sounded like a beautiful, beautiful song, just a single voice. And as I got up into the sky pretty high, it was very blue and the sun was very bright. And as I was in the sky, I looked at the sun and instead of being the sun, like a planet, what it looked like was, looked like it was a, a light, a tube of light and light was shining through this tube. And when I looked up the sun, I saw a shadow. Actually the right word is a silhouette of a man standing in that light and he was beckoning me. I don't remember if I saw a hand moving, but I felt that I was being beckoned to come into that light. And I had the impression that if I went into that light, that I was going to meet the Savior. Well, I realized suddenly 
as I was in the sky that I was not ready to meet the Savior. And I'm sorry to say that and confess that, but that's the truth. In this state, I did not feel ready. And suddenly I was looking for a place to hide. <laughs> and there was nowhere to hide in the sky. The sky was clear blue. But as I worried about, I'm not ready to take that step yet. Um, a cloud formed and I went and I hid in the cloud to avoid the brightness of his glory coming through this tube of light, which seemed like it was a sun. Now that's where the experience ended. And I suddenly became conscious again on the bed. Now I won't say I was sleeping because I didn't fall asleep and I didn't wake up. I just suddenly came to, uh, if you want to call it sleep, fine. I, I don't think it was a sleep because, you know, when you wake up, you, you go through, uh, uh, you know, the, the process of becoming conscious. I feel like I just shifted consciousness from what I was just in into that. So my part of the story was, I call it a cautionary tale because what I learned is, I learned two things, my friends. One is that the Lord will answer our prayers. He really will. But at the same time, I would caution you, be careful what you ask for. And I know that it might sound disappointing to you and maybe a little to myself that I didn't have the courage to go into that light. But I also know I made the right decision because I wasn't ready. And I have been very careful about the things that I've asked since then. Uh, so be careful what you ask for. To get back to the main point, we need to be careful about understanding how Satan is allowed to operate. Number one, he is a real person. Number two, he had authority with God in the pre-mortal existence. Number three, he presented a plan that was going to destroy our agency if it was allowed to pass. He wanted to, number, the next point is he wanted to be awarded by taking God's throne and sitting on God's throne and taking his place, presumably because he'd be the first God, let's say, if he was a lesser God of some kind or an angel in the pre-mortal existence, to have brought everybody back to salvation without losing a single soul, which was his goal. Next point, I'm positive that his plan would have never worked because we can see on this earth it is impossible to control people externally. His plan would have been a complete failure and I think at the end of the day, everybody would have been lost because he couldn't have implemented his plan. Next point, Satan is still trying to prove that his plan was the right plan. He's still trying to force or support policies and support ideologies that would take away all of our agency and give it to somebody else. Next point. He's going to establish his kingdom on the earth about the same time that the Lord sets up his kingdom in the last day, as described in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Next point, Satan is going to fail miserably. And although he may gain some control for a few months and maybe a year and a half, I'm, I'm, I'm estimating maybe the tribulations, some say last seven years, for sure three and a half, 42 months, but... The bottom line is, for a very short time, his plans are going to be 
implemented while the kingdom of God is being set up and established, and it's going to fail. The outcome is certain. It's described in the book of Revelation. And the final point I would make is Satan does have power. He does have authority. He does have limits, though, on what he can do. And we can break the bonds. Anybody who has ever made a pact with the devil, covenanted with him, knowingly or unknowingly, you can undo that. Christ has the power. He said to Adam and Eve that the serpent could bruise our heel, but that he would crush his head. And no matter how many times you fail or fall down or feel like a failure, the arms of the Savior are always stretched out and he will receive us and he will spare us from the plans of the evil one. This earth is to learn to choose between good and evil. We'll prize the good by experiencing the bitterness of hell and the bitter taste and how much we have to drink is going to sometimes be up to us, but also how high we expect to rise and the equal opposition we're going to face. Looking at these scriptural examples, we'll notice that what is Satan's plan? And, and with my grandfather, Alfred Douglas Young, as well. The plan is to create hopelessness, despair, and fear. These are the things that ultimately Moses, Alfred, and others experience when tried by the devil for their spiritual advancement. God provides hope and love and joy and peace. And finally, if we can see a vision of a personage and we see them with our natural eyes, we know that that is not from God. Going into the last days as we see that there's going to be the beast and the false prophet, people are going to wonder and worship the image of the beast. Remember, if we can see these things with our natural eyes, then they are not of God. Only with our spiritual eyes, a transformation or transition or tra uh, some call it even translation, uh, that's the only way you can experience godliness is through some kind of a, a spiritual assistance, not with the natural eyes. So just remember those things as you go about your journey, as you are born again, as you come back to the Lord, that you will feel hope and light and joy and peace. You will not feel despair. You will not fear. You will not have hopelessness. Those are born of the devil. As you reject him and embrace the Savior. Thanks for listening.